Merry Christmas. I'm so glad that you are here today. We have been looking at this series where we are untangling Christmas. And that's why we've got up here our uh, knotted up Christmas lights. And we've been looking at the mess of it. The messiness of life. And it seems to be amplified at this time of the year. In fact, it seems to all draw attention at this time of year that I'm on a campaign to come up with a new, more honest expression that says, Merry Xmas. And just remember that, that we're right in the middle of this mess. In fact, I would like for you, as you think about Christmas, and whenever you see what's typically Christmas, um, to think of this, and before you think that I've taken Christ out of Christmas somehow, you may not be aware that the X is not actually an X when you write that way. It is the Greek letter Chi, which is the first letter in Christ. And so to have a Christ mess is exactly how the first Christmas started. And that's what we've been looking at, the mess of that first Christmas. And we've looked at, what do you do when your family is a mess? And I preached that sermon, and so many people came up and said, that's right, family is messy, and we're trying to work through some different things. And then we talked about last week about the shame that comes and the embarrassment that comes in our mess. And oftentimes when we've created a mess in our lives, and what do we do with that, and how can Jesus step into that? Now we're, today we're going to talk about just a messy situations. And these aren't necessarily something that you caused or by choices, but you just find yourself in these messy, difficult situations. And there's a part of us that thinks every time we encounter one of those that it just shouldn't be this way. See, there is an idea that can run in Christianity in this belief that as long as I follow God... My life should get easier. It should get more comfortable each step of the way. Good things and only good things should come my way. Maybe you can relate to the young child that wrote the letter to Santa that says something like this. Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. (laughs) Surely, Alfred. Sometimes, in some seasons of my life, I prayed that prayer. God, I'm not seeing anything good. God, I'm not seeing anything good. I didn't see it last week. I'm not seeing it this week. You get one more chance. One of my prayers each and every Sunday is that God would use this moment of the message and the speaking of the message Because I believe that every Sunday somebody is walking in the door or they're joining us online from somewhere around the world and they're going to give Jesus a very first chance. Or life's been messy and they're giving Jesus one more chance for God to do something. Well, I want to talk about those messy things. And remember the thesis of this whole series is this. The miracle of Christmas, what we celebrate this time of year, is not that Jesus joins us when we're at our best. 
Not that he shows up just when it all goes your way or you have gone for 52 Sundays in a row never missing church. He shows up not at our best, but he always shows up in our mess. And that is the message of the very first Christmas. And so we've been going to Matthew's house for Christmas. And where most of our uh, illustrations, most of our nativity scene that Randy talked about earlier comes from, comes from Luke, Matthew gives us an uncomfortable Christmas image. And Matthew goes dark. And in fact, today we're going to talk about some of the darkest parts of the first Christmas. And it is a mess. You do not see these parts represented in a nativity scene, at least in their entirety. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to open your digital devices, wherever it is, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. Once again... This is the first Christmas. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born the King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And I always encourage you to underline and write something in your Bibles. I want you to underline, he was disturbed, and notice, and all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. The reason why all Jerusalem was disturbed is because when King Herod got disturbed, people got uneasy. When King Herod got upset, people lost their lives. Herod was vicious, and he was an egomaniac. Herod was such an egomaniac that when he thought he may be close to his death, he left standing orders that prominent citizens of Jerusalem on the moment of his death would be rounded up, brought to a central location, and slaughtered because he wanted somebody to be grieving when he died. This is who Herod was. And so when he gets uneasy everybody around him gets uneasy and so there is this tension in town why because these guys have shown up these magi these wise men we'll talk about in a second they've shown up and they were noticed keep reading when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law he asked them where the messiah was to be born in bethlehem in judea they replied for this is what the prophet has written But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, secretly found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they'd seen rose, went ahead of them till it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
Now, the Magi, these wise men, they show up in our Christmas nativity scenes, which is a little ironic because it seems that they show up several months or perhaps a year more later to find Jesus. Why would they? They're probably from Persia, which is about 800 miles away. And a great question to ask is why would foreign wise men, foreign magi, these astronomers from so far away, be seeking a Jewish king? And what we believe is that if you remember in your Old Testament, when Daniel, the one that was in the lion's den, when he was captured and taken off, he ends up being in Persia. He ends up rising through the ranks and becomes the chief magi at the time and brings this idea of a one true God to them. And somehow that carried forward. And so these magi are reading Old Testament scriptures, learning about the coming of the one, and they see a star in the sky, this caravan. And my assumption is that it was a large noticeable caravan because these three guys would not have just set out on a journey by themselves. And so they go moving or and they arrive in Jerusalem because they believe this is going to be the king of the Jews. And when you look for the Herod gets an uncomfortable word because what happens to Herod? He hears they've shown up. They're asking a very difficult question. Where's the king that's just been born? Well, Herod doesn't want any king to be born because Herod sees himself as sovereign and ruler and anybody else is a threat. And Herod had no problem eliminating threats to his throne, his power, his sovereignty, even if they were family members. It's often said that it was better to be a dog of King Herod and worship him too. And what's fascinating to me is when they ask the question, Herod calls him, Herod gives them the word. And they go. And they find him. And it says that they bowed down and they worshipped him. Pick it up in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we don't know how many of these there were. But they're always represented as three because there's three gifts that they give. And they give some very particular gifts. They give this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first gift is gold. Now, I'm going to suggest that each of the gifts have some very symbolic meaning. These are not just random gifts that they picked up on the door on the way out. Their wife didn't say, hey, you better take something What's in it? I don't know. Just give it to him, you know. They bring gold. Now remember, their first action is to bow down and worship him. When they find this child, they bow down and worship. Because they have found a king. And that's what the gold represents. 
They are bringing him gold because when you show up before a king, you don't show up empty-handed. You show up with a gift that's of value, a gift that shows their worth, and they show up with their worship and their gold. And the next two are both a type of incense, frankincense. Frankincense was a, a... both of these are precious. All these gifts are very precious and valuable. Frankincense was made by going to a certain tree. And they would hack into the tree and create a wound in the tree and allow the sap that was in this tree to ooze out. And they would call it bleed. They'd bleed the tree. And as they did this, the sap would come out and they would allow it to harden and form a high priest. And so the frankincense represents that we found a new high priest. If you read over in Hebrews, he, the, the writer of Hebrews talking about Jesus says he is a king and a high priest and he references an Old Testament character called Melchizedek, And he's the only time that we break your use. It's most associated with preparing a body for death. Remember, their funeral procedures were not like ours. And What happened upon death was a body would be wrapped tightly and this myrrh, because of its scent, would be placed within the wrapping because the bones and the body were... Not only is he uniquely a high priest and a king, but the high priest would always offer the sacrifice. And Jesus is not only the high priest that offers the sacrifice, he's also the high priest that is the sacrifice. And here's this testimony where these wise men, because they have been studying the ancient scriptures, they recognize that there is something amazingly unique about Jesus. And he is the one that is going to be king, priest, and sacrifice, and him alone. And they bring these gifts that represent that. And they bow down and worship him. See, they recognize what nobody else in this mess recognized. They saw the miracle in the middle of the mess. And they recognize Jesus for the king that he is. And it is possible, it's oh so possible to be in the presence of royalty and miss. See, Herod misses it. He doesn't... Over her nation. A few years back, one of her personal bodyguards that would travel with her and go when she went out to her country estate shared a great story about how oh, we had a lovely picnic and a lovely chat, and then we went for a little walk, just the two of us. And normally on these picnic sites, you, you meet nobody, but there was two hikers coming towards us, and the queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped, they hadn't recognized the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? (laughs) And she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. (laughs) And he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clogs thinking. He said, well, if you've been coming up for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. I and as quick as a flash, says, well, I haven't. The dickier meets her regularly. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So the guy said to me, oh, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull a leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humour. Anyway, the next thing I knew, this guy comes around, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of the two of us? Possible claim to his throne, but he fails to recognize the sovereignty of Jesus. And so his goal is to eliminate this. So you have two completely different reactions. These magi show up preparing to give and bow down and worship. And you have Herod that will not relinquish control. And he thinks, if I can hold an iron fist, if I can squeeze tighter, if I can work harder, I can put down all other competitors to my throne. The same child garners great reaction. And so the question that I'm going to have for you and the question that we're asked in this test is when life is messy, will you bow down or will you bow up? Will you say, I got this. This is my agenda. This is my plan. This is my effort. Or you take a moment and acknowledge that Jesus shows up in the middle of your mess and the response is, is worship him. That's what the scripture is inviting us to do. That's what the Magi traveled 800 plus miles to do. Herod wouldn't travel the seven that took. The story goes on. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now remember, this is the second dream that Joseph has received. Get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now... Here's the darkest part of this whole story. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, because remember, they took a different route home. They basically went under cover of night so that Herod would not know where the child was. He was furious. And he gave orders. And this, this is how evil Herod is. Kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled and Matthew pulls this Old Testament scripture out and it talks about great anguish. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Christmas is messy. Here's this vulnerable family, years and younger, just so he doesn't miss anybody. This is not parts that show up in our nativity scenes, is it? Can you imagine the, in a very short time? 
and says, you need to be thinking, Joseph, you're thinking about divorcing her quietly, and you're, you want to do the right thing, but Joseph, the right thing from God is when you stand with her. This is not what I thought my life was going to be. This is a mess. Okay, I'm going off script for three minutes here, okay? Take the brunt. Take the shame and be a protector of the one that God has given you. Somewhere we've allowed our culture to downplay that role so much it's almost becoming unrecognizable. And yet we have Joseph that could easily say, this isn't my child, this isn't my mess, this isn't my responsibility, I'm out of here. And yet even when life, his own life is in danger, he's willing to stand up and stand beside and protect. And dude, that's what we're called to. I don't even know how we get into a language of something called toxic masculinity because if that's the masculinity that we're called to, what Joseph has, anybody should seek that. Would Any woman would want to be around that because it's without fail. That was for free. Back on script. Joseph does this. And Joseph is a righteous man. And he's doing what God calls him to do. And so one thing that I want you to understand is this great tragedy is happening around him. And they have to run for their lives. And he's now in a foreign country. So he's away from home, away from his business, away from everything that was stable and understandable and familiar and comfortable. And now he's out and there are fugitives on the run, it would be easy to start thinking, what have I done? God, where did you go in this? And what I want to do is encourage you, whatever the mess that you find yourself in right now is this, because it's easy to start thinking that when, when we get into our mess, that God has somehow left us, and here's the message for Joseph, and here's the message for us, your present mess is not evidence of God's absence. It's easy as the mess of whatever it is starts getting tighter and heavier on us to lose a sense that God is no longer with me. But your current struggle, your current mess is not evidence that God has abandoned you. Because God was with them. God was with them throughout it all. He watched over them. He took care of them in Egypt. In fact, we get this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. They run to Egypt. They hide out there. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. I wonder if he had sleeping trouble after a while. Can you just send me a text message from now on? He said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Hey, Joseph, there's been a funeral that we've been waiting on. You can go home now. God was with them the whole time. Watching them, protecting them. In the middle of it all, is God's providence. 
And it's sometimes it's very difficult to see God at work. But if you can, in the middle of whatever you're facing right now, if you can take a moment and just step back and start looking for God. God, where are you showing up in this? Where, where are you in the middle of this? In the Joseph story, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they need to flee. That wasn't a cheap expense. What I believe God was doing is he was providing the funds and the resources in the gifts of the Magi. He funded the whole trip. They didn't even know they had to take the trip. But when they find out they've been granted the resources, God's providence was present all along. And so as you're in your mess, my question for you is this, how has God provided in your mess? What's he doing in the middle of your mess? How is he sustaining you? Because God never promises that our lives will be mess-free. But he promises that he will join us in the mess. So is it the encouragement? Is it a phone call that you've received? Is it an unexpected check in the mail? Is it a text message that maybe you received out of the blue that somebody encouraged you? Is it a connection or relationship or somebody that can help you in a certain way that's very unique that you didn't even know them a month ago, but now here you've got a connection to them and God's as if he sent a good Samaritan your way. How's he showing up in your mess? Are you going to let the church your fellow brothers and sisters that also cling to the name of Jesus Christ, are you going to let them be there for you? And can God provide for you in that way? I mean, church. And God's providence shows up and His provision shows up through that in so many different ways. And we're praying for so many right now. And many of you have shared with me and asked me to be praying for certain things that are going on in the middle of your mess right now. And I'm holding those up for, and I hope you're sensing God at work in those. Well, oftentimes as God's at work, he brings a message and a situation together at just the same time. So as I had this message prepared for the baptized will, and it was an incredible joy. You guys, come on up. And Adrian called me yesterday and she told me that they had received some a difficult news. And there's a mess out they have. They received that their beautiful daughter, 21 months old, 20 months old, Maddie, they received a diagnosis of Rett syndrome. And it's a spontaneous genetic syndrome that will complicate numerous things in her life. Walking, speech, and perhaps even shorten life. What Adrian Will asked us, they said, we want our church to be praying. We want our army of prayer warriors activated. I said, would you, would you do that? Oh, yeah, we'll do that. So I'm going to invite Will for Adrian, this beautiful, beautiful child, Maddie. If you would, bow your head, please.
Heavenly Father, we are thankful for beautiful, sweet Madeline. We're thankful that she's a part of this family. Uh, we're thankful that you love her beyond measure. Father, we know that we can make requests because we are your children. And we're putting Madeline before you at your throne and making a request for her, for her health, for her future, for uh, things that uh, she will be uh, dealing with. Father, we give you thanks because she is loved. We're thankful that Will and Adrian are father and mother and that love her dearly and that want what's absolutely the best for her. We pray for Jude and the love that he shows as a brother. We're thankful for this. Would you give them an extra measure of courage and an extra measure of, of wisdom and of patience? And Father, we're so thankful that Madeline is your child. And Father, we know that you have provisions for her and for the Proctor family. We don't know what they are, but you continually amaze us by what you do and how you work. And we're making this request for Madeline. It's in your son's most holy name that we pray, and amen. As Adrian and I visit on the phone, she said, obviously through tears and emotions, she said, our God is powerful. And we are so grateful that you guys are a part and going to let us be in this. Thank you all. Thank you. Listen. That is just the first of many that we'll offer up for her. You get to be a part of this now. You get to be one of the provisions, one of the gifts that God brings into this particular messy, difficult situation. That's whatever I preached most recently, and she started listening to the Untangling Christmas series. And she talked about how much it meant to her in the text, and she was very encouraging with it. And she said, thanks for sharing that mess, M-E-S-S, edge with me. And I just wish I had thought of that. And she said, thanks for reminding us of our mess. And I was so humbled because if you remember Scott and Sandy's story, their oldest daughter that was the same age as Caden was Alyssa Ferguson. And at 13, she had cancer. And she had a battle with cancer. In fact, she ended up having six different surgeries in an attempt to address the cancer in her brain. And during that time, Make-A-Wish Foundation came to her and said, what would you like? And she'd been touched by understanding that certain children in the world lived far from water. And so instead of requesting a trip to Disney World or something personal for her, she says, I want to build a well. I want to build a well in Africa. And Make-A-Wish Foundation and said, okay. He was going to open up a new elementary school, and they were informing them that a vote had been taken, a poll had been conducted, and they wanted to name it the 
Alyssa Ferguson Elementary. And of course, they were floored by that. Now, that part I've shared with you before. The part that has come out since the last time I've shared with that, and I was reminded of when I received Sandy's text message earlier this week, is that as the students that were going to populate that school, as they got them together and they told them the story behind the name, Alyssa Ferguson Elementary, they told them Alyssa's story. They asked, what should our mascot be? They had a little contest where people would put mascot ideas in. The winning mascot for the Alyssa Ferguson Elementary is that they will be the fireflies. Because she's shown a light in the darkness. Wow. That's why we have Christmas lights, isn't it? Because they're a light in the darkness. So I'm going to leave you with this. As you worship the one at Christmas that is king and high priest and sacrifice. Whatever your mess is, can you imagine how God can use your mess for his mission if you'll let him? Can you imagine how God will use your mess for his mission if you'd let him? Because what I want you to see is that from centuries earlier, God had set the pieces in motion. For where 800 miles away, foreigners would come with valuable gifts to give and provide for them. At a moment where it seemed like the Christ child would be threatened by outward darkness. God was at work all the way through it. And in the middle of this mess, God brings Jesus into the world. The one that came as king of all and yet did not hold on to his kingship the way kings typically hold on to it. But he held on to it by giving his life with them giving them strength. Father, I pray for anyone else that's hearing this message, whether they're in this room or they're somewhere around the world, as they hear the story where in the middle of this horrific first Christmas, the miracle of Jesus, of God in the flesh, shows up in the middle of all the mess. So, Father, I pray, pray for anyone in the middle of a mess right now that they would resist the temptation to bow up to you. But we would respond by bowing down and embracing you in worship because you are king of all. Father, would you open our eyes to see your provision in the middle of it? Would you help us to see in a very tangible way this week your presence in the middle of it? And would you strengthen our faith that way, Father? Father, whatever the mess is, show up. Be with us. And we trust that you already are, and you're already at work behind the scenes. 
And Father, may our lack of being able to see you at times not fester into some kind of bitterness against you, but just open our eyes to see you in the middle of it. Father, ask all this in the name of the one that is king, the one that is sovereign over all, the one that is the high priest that intercedes on our behalf and the one that not only offered the sacrifice, but became the sacrifice. We ask this in the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.